This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 237, and we are recording on June 23rd. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Welcome. Hello. That is all. <laughs> yeah, I got... Well, no, that's not true. I don't have nothing. We have a survey. We do have a survey. Yeah, let's talk about that. Well, you want to tell the people about the survey. So we are doing a reader survey in which you can tell us more about yourself and potentially win an e-reader. It'll only take a few minutes, and you can see the questions and giveaway details at bookriot.com slash 2020 survey. So go fill that out, please, and thank you. We want to know more about you. I don't know why I sing like that so much. It's like, <laughs> it's my inner John Ralphio. You know all those quizzes where you can find out what Parks and Rec character you are? I'm always like, I'm going to get John Ralphio. I'm just, I know it. I know I'm going to get John Ralphio. I haven't yet, but I feel like it's coming. Yeah, I don't, I don't hate it, Amanda, I gotta tell you. I don't hate it. I don't hate the singing. The worst. All right. So our How the Show Works, as I mentioned, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So if you need something to read because you're inside forever like the rest of us, you can send us your reading recommendation request at getbookedatbookriot.com or you can use the form in the show notes on the site. Either way, if your question is time sensitive, please let us know. Put it in the subject line if you're using an email or put it in big letters in the first line if you're using the form so we can get to it on time. We might email you back if we've already answered your question on the show or if we're not going to get to it on time. And so that's why we ask for your email address. Okay, so we are just going to mosey on now. Uh, Jen's going to read our first question. Then we will talk about our first sponsor and away we will go. All right. Our first question is from Mel who says... My mother suggested that she and I read a book together, which we have never done before. She asked me to choose the book. I am so thrilled that she suggested this, but I am terrified that I will pick the wrong book. We haven't always had the best relationship, but my mother is a good person who always tries to do the right thing. We just don't see eye to eye ever. <laughs> She's conservative. I'm liberal. She's evangelical Christian. I'm agnostic. She is the wise and patient mother. I am the hot-headed daughter, etc. So I want to pick something that we will both enjoy that won't cause too much friction between us. Her suggestion was in response to some posts I made on social media regarding the recent protests of the murder of George Floyd, so I would like the book to be by a Black author and to address racism directly in some way. We are both white, FYI. Fiction and nonfiction are both okay. My mom loves biographies and autobiographies. A biography of a Christian would be a huge bonus. I think she would really enjoy something like that. All right, let's take a break for a sponsor. Oh. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan 
again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building, but turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken. Make sure to check out the Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Wife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so a book to read with mom, maybe a biography of a Christian. I'm just going to keep talking. Mm -hmm. I picked Motherhood So White by Nefertiti Austin, which is a memoir about, you know, being a mom, (laughs) which I was like, oh, that would be an interesting book for a mother-daughter book club. And Nefertiti Austin decided that even though she was single, she wanted to adopt a black baby boy out of the foster care system. Like she knew very specifically what she wanted to do and why. And then when she started looking into it and talking to her friends and family about it and like undergoing all of the prep you have to do to become a foster parent who is headed to adoption, she encountered all of these roadblocks and obstacles and all of this skepticism from various people in her lives, a lot of which was about her being single, a lot of which was about her being Black, a lot of which was about her wanting to adopt a Black baby. There are all of these different things going on. And she has a very real faith and a very interesting story. And she just talks so matter-of-factly about this experience and about all of these historical, cultural, social issues that became, like I said, roadblocks and obstacles to her fulfilling this dream of becoming a mother. And I think that perhaps it's possible that in this particular context, it may be easier to talk about some of these issues of systemic racism and, you know, the effects of the slavery system on current day politics and social things. And, you know, she is such a relatable and warm and interesting narrator. And I think that 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 might be a great open door for discussion about some of these issues that are, you know, not necessarily related to motherhood in the news right now, but are they're all interconnected. Uh, so, again, that's Motherhood So White by Nefertiti Austin. 
Okay, I picked I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness by Austin Channing Brown, which is an autobiography of a Christian. So Austin Channing Brown is pretty well known in evangelical circles. I started hearing her name after the 2016 election, which is when I left the church. And she was, I think, really spotlighted as a black woman as like, somebody needs to answer for the evangelical church. And obviously, 80% of the evangelical church voted for Trump. So we need to find somebody who can explain what's happening here. And so I started seeing her on social media a lot more. And then she came out with this book, which uh, came out in 2018, and is about growing up as a black woman in church in middle class white suburbia, and then eventually in working in the Christian world, like she works for a lot of Christian organizations and, and corporations and nonprofits and things like that, all of whom had big diversity mandates. But her experience working at those companies really showed that that was just kind of a mandate on paper. But the way that she was treated and the way the evangelical church in general has treated people of color and black people specifically is terrible <laughs> and kind of culminated in their universal vote for a white supremacist. So her memoir is not combative, like I am describing it in kind of a combative way because I have a lot of personal feelings about it, but she, her her memoir is not like, you know, the church is evil. She is still very much part of that community and is still working to change hearts and minds from the inside, but she's not pulling any punches either. Like she's very much describing her experience and what it was like to be somebody who believes very deeply in her faith and has since, you know, she was a kid and this is the water that she grew up in. But to constantly feel like the people around you not only don't know what to do with you, but like are actively behaving in ways that would harm you if you were in a different socioeconomic class that didn't protect you as much from what's going on. And so I think that your mom, because it's not a combative book, but it, but your mother has expressed interest in these ideas and it's coming from a place like using language and referencing cultural moments that she will absolutely understand. I think she'll probably be a lot more receptive and open to conversation when it's not just about like race in America, but is very specifically about race in America and in the church, in, in the evangelical conservative church. Not that Austin Channing Brown is a conservative, but you know, it's hard to untie conservative political conservatism from evangelical churchism, which is not an ism, but you know what I mean. And so if she's coming from that background, somebody who is speaking from that place and expressing a different story, I think your mom will probably be a lot more open to that. And there's a lot, of course, there for you as well in this book. So that's I'm Still Here by Austin Channing Brown. Okay. Question two is from Reagan, who says, I've always been an obsessive reader, but after certain current events, I realized that I read a lot of books by white authors. I want to find more books by authors of color. I don't want books that focus too heavily on racism. I already have quite a few on my TBR pile. My guilty pleasures include mystery, romance, and historical fiction. Okay, Jen, what you got? I am so excited to <laughs> recommend Girl Gone Viral by Alicia Rye, which standard get booked style is the second book in the series, but you don't have to have read the first one, but you should. But this one is so great. And it is about a former model, now investor heroine, trigger warning for an abusive parent. 
she has a very controlling father who like emotionally entangled her in all kinds of terrible ways. And she is, you know, now an adult and is separated from him. She hasn't seen him for a very long time. She is a widow. She's got a bodyguard. She's very rich. And she lives this very secluded life because she developed anxiety and panic attacks uh, as a younger woman and is still kind of trying to like find her way out of all of that trauma and baggage. And one of the things that she likes to do is to go to this cafe and her bodyguard is like at a different table. So she feels safe, but she's sort of by herself. And one day she's at this cafe when a hot guy sits down next to her because there's no other open seats. And so they have this like little flirty conversation. Nothing really happens. He offers her his number, but she doesn't take it because as much as she enjoys enjoyed the interaction. She's just not interested in him. But unbeknownst to her, a couple in the table next to them has been like live blogging this whole Mm. thing on their social media. And they have not ID'd her, but she's terrified of being publicly ID'd. She's very private, like I said. She doesn't want anybody to know where she lives or like what she's doing with herself. She has like, she's now eating the way she wants to eat and has the body she wants to have, but it's a very different body from when she was a model. So she like doesn't want to have to like have people talking about her appearance. Like there's all kinds of reasons why this is very upsetting to her. And her bodyguard, who is our hero, is amazing. He is an Indian American man who's also a war vet who has been struggling with PTSD. And he is like so dedicated to her and has realizes sort of at the beginning of this novel that he's like fallen in love with her over the course of working with her, but like doesn't feel like he can do anything about it because her now deceased husband was like so kind to him and gave him a job when he came home and like didn't know what he was going to do with himself. And also like he can't imagine that she's interested in him. Of course she is. You know, this is a romance novel. This is how this works. (laughs) And what I love about this book is that like while they are both struggling with past trauma and current mental health issues, it's really actually pretty light and fun. Like there's a lot of talk about like food, like cat the heroine's love language is food. So she's always cooking for everybody. And Jas, the hero, is very much like trying to learn how to have friends. Like he's just like how to how to have a friend, like how to have conversations that aren't like about security. And there's a lot of fun family stuff. Like Jas has been sort of estranged from his family for a while. But because Katrina is so afraid of being put in the spotlight, she leaves her house and they go to stay on his family's like giant farm where no one will buy them. So, of course, now they're interacting with his family, who are very loving but have their own issues. And it's just so much fun. And it's so sweet. And it's so heartwarming. And it gives me all of the feelings. And I just think if you're a romance fan, you will love this book. It's great. And it does, you know, tackle these like weird, like dating in the modern world issues. So again, that is Girl Gone Viral by Alicia Rye. All right. My pick for you is The Aosawa Murders by Riku Onda and translated by Allison Watts. I got stuck on how you like mystery, so that's what I went with. And this has a trigger warning for suicide. So this is kind of part historical fiction, part modern fiction. It bounces back and forth in time. It starts in the 60s at a mass murder, which is a poisoning, a cyanide poisoning at a party given by the people who own a really prominent health clinic in a town on the coast of Japan. 17 people are killed. It's like a whole family. The whole, the only survivor is a little girl who is blind and was not on the same floor as the other people who drank this poisoned soda and died. So she's the only person who survives. 
there emerges one suspect, a prime suspect, a young man who I think if I remember right, was the person who delivered the soda that ended up being poisoned. And he, after he's like interrogated by the police and it's obvious that he's the prime suspect, he dies by suicide that October after the uh, murders are committed. And so he is like, the police take that as an admission of his guilt, but there is no motive. Like there's no connection between this kid and this family. No one can figure out why he would have done such a thing. And so the the people surrounding the family who were all murdered decide like, not decide, but like kind of go on about their lives with this unease about the the way that the case was wrapped up. And the the book bounces back and forth between a bunch of different perspectives, including one of the only witnesses to the crime, who is a a friend of Hisako, who's the young girl in the family who survived. Her friend was a witness and grew up to write a book about the murders and then never like never talked about them again after that. One of the police officers is one of the perspectives. And it's obvious uh, as you read that the the person who is interviewing all these people is a journalist who's trying to figure out what actually happened because the journalist. And as you re- as you get through these interviews, you realize the police also think that maybe the girl who survived had something to do with it. So it's it's just very ominous and creepy. And but you're you're far enough removed from the actual event in the book, like the characters are being interviewed. 20, 30, 40 years later. And so you're far enough removed that it's like, it doesn't have that urgency or that like tenseness that a lot of murder mysteries have when you're kind of in the middle of it. You're solving something where a lot of the people who were involved who could have been suspects are gone, have moved, are dead, you know. And so it's not as, I don't want to say not as dark. It's obviously super dark, but it's not as like chilling or like, ah, I read this. I'm very like... (laughs) sensitive to murder mysteries because I live by myself and I'm like constantly opening and closing my closet doors. I did not feel like I had to do that after this, if that gives you kind of like a a scare-o-meter. I don't know. So that's the Aosawa Murders by Riku Onda. All right. Our next question is from Allison, who says, I'm going to be welcoming a tiny human into my life at the end of September. And knowing myself and my anxieties, I'm not going to want to read any books in which bad things happen to or because of tiny humans. But until then, those books are fair game. Are there any books out there with tiny human badness that are really amazing and that I should read now, lest I have to wait a decade or two to read them once my tiny human is more full-sized? Uh, so I picked The Broken Earth Trilogy by N.K. Jemisin, the first book is the fifth season and yeah there is a lot of harm to children in these books also there's forced breeding so that's a thing you should be aware of and this is an apocalypse world situation but in this fantasy world the geologic apocalypses that happen are pretty well understood and so everybody is sort of always ready and society is set up in a certain way to be ready for impending badness, uh, typically of the environmental variety. And at the opening of this book, there is a like giant, like the basically the continent splits in half. It is caused by a person and they know that all hell is going to break loose and there, you know, there's going to be like poison air and shortage of supplies. And so everybody's trying to gear up to get ready for this. And in the meantime, the main character, Essen, who lives in a very small town, comes home to find that her husband has murdered their son and kidnapped their daughter and is now on the road while, you know, everything is going to heck in a handbasket. And the reason that this has happened is because she has a secret. She has 
powers that in this world are very strictly regulated and would require her to be like under basically bureaucratic and government control. And she doesn't want that. And her son has manifested these powers. And that is why her husband has killed their son. And so she goes on the road to track them down and find her daughter and like, you know, revenge (laughs) (laughs) there's like no other way to say it and you also go back and forth in time to learn more about the society and like what has happened and why a person has caused this catastrophic geological event and it is so good like this series is so freaking good every single book in it has won it was the Nebula, right? Or the Hugos? Ugh, I get it mixed up. Anyway, every single book of this series has won an award. And it's like a groundbreaking, like, this is the first time that a trilogy for has won that award for every single book. And that is, it, like, you can tell that's how good it is. It is so freaking good. The characters are so amazing. The world building is so fascinating and thought out and incredible. And it's just, like, going to stick with you forever. But there is so much harm to children. So <laughs> definitely read it sooner rather than later. I think you could tear through it, though, in not very much time, certainly before September, if you were so inclined. So again, uh, that is the Broken Earth Trilogy by N.K. Jemisin, and it starts with the fifth season. It was the Hugos. It was the Hugos. Thank you, Amanda. I had to look it up because it was going to bother me. Okay, I picked Shepherd by Catherine Drinks, which has a trigger warning for harm to children and also all the every animal that appears in the book. So if that's a thing that you're not into, not the book for you. Also, I I recorded an episode of the Hansel about this before this question was asked, but it's so perfect that I'm going to recommend it here. Anyway, so Shepard is about harm to and also harm by one particular child. His name is Tom. He is a poacher from Suffolk in the UK. And this takes place during um, settler Australia. So like the 1800s, I think. And he's caught when he's 12. He's caught poaching and is sent to, to Australia, to New South Wales to serve out his term, which is like a life sentence of labor. And he's placed on a ranch and is sentenced to be a shepherd. And he's in a hut, which is like several miles away from the main body of the ranch, in a shepherd's hut with two other men who are, you know, in charge of all of these sheep. And that's their job. The problem is that one of the adults who he's placed with in this hut is a complete sociopath. And the two, um, Tom and the other man who live in the hut, slowly start to realize that their lives are in danger. And this all happens before the book opens. And they, they get an opportunity once they realize that this guy, his name is Dan, is um, probably going to try to kill them. They get to him first and then they leave him for dead in the the bush and kind of try to go on about their lives. And then when the book opens, they realize that he's not dead and he's like gathered uh, forces, uh, other outlaws to come and seek his revenge basically on Tom, who again is 12. And this other man who lives in the in the hut. And so that all happens super fast. You're caught up really, really quickly within the first few pages. And then from then on, it's just a chase, like a heist kind of chase novel. And Tom goes on the run into the bush and Dan goes after him. And it's so fascinating because Tom, as a poacher, has a lot of skills, even though he was caught, but he was kind of caught on purpose. But that's like a backstory. He has a lot of skills and a lot of ability to hide in the bush and also survive. But he's not used to being the hunted one. He's always used to like doing the hunting. So He goes back and forth between fleeing from this man who's trying to kill him and kind of trying to go on the offensive to save his own life. And it's very violent. There's a lot of um, hunting, like the harm to animals comes both from hunting and also from like purposeful torture of the animals to try to get Tom to come out and all of this stuff. But Tom himself is pretty ruthless and he's doing all of this, of course, in defense of his own life. 
But when it comes time to like face down this guy who's chasing him through the Australian wilderness, he is equally violent. So if you want a big dose of like, how bad can a kid be, but also all the bad things that can happen to a kid, all of that in one character in this book. And like, he's, he's 12. I've seen some people try to describe it as YA because the author historically writes a lot of YA and the kid is 12. But this is not a young adult. Like this is not coming of age. He's not here to like figure out who he is. He's here to not get murdered in a really gruesome way in the outback. So that's that. So that's Shepherd by Catherine Jenks. <laughs> Indeed. (laughs) Okay. Our next question is from Sarah, who says, I recently read The Complete Persepolis and would love Rex for further reading. Specifically, I'm looking for fiction or a memoir that would give me a feel for what it was like to live through the 1979 Iranian Revolution and the years surrounding it. The only other Iran-related book I've read is Funny in Farsi. Any ideas for my next read? Jen, what you got? Well, have you heard of Disoriental? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I have picked a different book, but like, side note... Read Disoriental by Nagar Javadi, translated by Tina Cover. Now I will talk about my actual pick, which is Things I've Been Silent About by Azar Nafizi, which is, it, I had no idea this book existed, weirdly, before I was poking around to answer this question. I've read Nafizi's other work. I mean, reading Lolita in Tehran is obviously a classic. Mm-hmm. She also wrote a book about the classics and like how they're taught in America, which was very interesting. But this is a memoir that is much more personal. And I've just started reading it. It's really interesting. It's beautifully written, which I am not surprised about. And it is about growing up in Iran and her sort of family situation. And it is very personal in that, you know, her mother was like very always storytelling and always manipulating, you know, their history and her own life and retelling it in these ways that served her purposes. And so Azar grew up like not really knowing what was actually true. And then her father started having affairs at a certain point and like sort of drew her into knowing about that and like being involved in the situation. Yeah. So like really complicated and, you know, difficult childhood. But also her father, you know, gave her a love of reading and like they had a very special bond over the books and classics that he would read to them. And then her mother was actually in government in Iran. And so, you know, her family was very affected both by their own, you know, internal family dynamics and then the revolutionary dynamics of Iran around them. So this is like really a deep dive into family life in Iran in the context of those political revolutions. And yeah, it's super interesting. And I've read her other works and I like she is really sort of just opening up the doors. And she says in the introduction, you know, this is not something that her family or that like a lot of people in her, you know, culture and society as she understands that are willing to do like they're not willing to be this honest mm. about these sort of family secrets and family dynamics so it's kind of a big deal for her that she wrote this book and I think it's I mean all like I said I just started it but I'm very drawn in it's very powerful so far and I really do love this is the kind of book that I love seeing because it has connections obviously to the broader political and historical context of a country but it is so personal and it's so especially when it's well done. It's so it can be so powerful to read um, and to give you that feeling of like everyday life in these situations. So again, that's things I've been silent about by Azar Nafizi. 
Okay, I picked The Immortals of Tehran by Alireza Tahiri Aragi, and this comes with a trigger warning for your suicide. Um, this is an epic, like, epic, I think it's 400, 500 pages, family saga with some, like, magical realism elements that starts right after World War II and goes up through the revolution. And uh, the main character is a boy named Ahmad. He's a boy when the book opens, and you follow him through his adulthood. And in the very first few pages... In his, he's woken up on the day of his sister's wedding. His father is missing. And then when he is found, his father dies by suicide in front of the boy. And so Ahmad goes mute for much of the book. He doesn't speak. And he uses instead his voice to write poetry. And he can like mouth the words so he can communicate with characters around him. But his voice is just like not coming out. And so after this obviously really terrible traumatic event in his life, his grandfather explains to him that the family like tells him stories about his family's history, and then explains that his family is under some kind of curse. It's a curse that involves cats, which sounds ridiculous when I say it, but the book is so well written that like, you're absolutely there. Like, yes, obviously, someone has cursed this family. And it is because of the cats. That makes absolute sense. And so Ahmad is like, maybe no to that idea. Maybe no to the curse. Maybe not so much. But he does spend a lot of his life like being real nice to cats just in case and like tiptoeing around them. Uh, And then you're just kind of following him through his life. He becomes like a street brawler. He eventually has kids. He gets into politics. And this is really interesting because he becomes he becomes a politician and he does not want to support the Shah. Like that's not necessarily where his political leanings go. But he gets really wrapped up in that world. And then on the side, he's writing this like really radical leftist poetry that his one of his childhood friends who was leading a leftist political front in the country takes up and like the left is using his poetry to further their agenda. And he's like, I don't didn't mean to. Oh, dear. Was not intended to get involved with this. And then as the political situation in Iran becomes more and more heated, he becomes a target. Um, And then, of course, like, is it because of this curse that has followed our family for so long? That can't be right. Cats are not magical. What is happening? And then you are just kind of following his his family and the story of Iran and the revolution and what how like the events leading up to it and the events immediately after it told through this family's really like kind of epic saga. So if you like uh, the whole time I was reading it, I was reminded of um, 100 Years of Solitude, like that kind mm. of multi-generational history of a people told through this like one family and all of its shenanigans. I think if you like that, then you will really like this. So that's The Immortals of Tehran by Ali Reza Tahari Aragi. Okay, let us take another sponsor break. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. Eh, she wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Our next question is from Danielle, who says, like a lot of people during the COVID crisis, I'm having a lot of trouble focusing on reading. I found that the only things I've been able to enjoy and finish are urban slash contemporary fantasy books that feature humor and or romance. So far, I've read works by Alona Andrews, Kate Bishop, and Rainbow Rowell. Obviously, these authors are all white. I'd like to find works in this vein by authors of color, especially BIPOC authors, and I figured you guys would have recommendations. Works by Rebecca Roanhorse, Daniel Jose Older, and Nalini Singh are all already on my TBR. Okay, well, first of all, love the authors <laughs> on your TBR. Like, you should read those. Mm-hmm. Definitely read those. <laughs> um, but since you're looking for more, I picked Want by Cindy Pan, which is the first book in, let's see, there's two books out in it currently in this series. And it is so great. It takes place in a near future, ooh, is it Taiwan? I believe it's Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And the main character is part of this like youth street gang that is plotting a heist so like already this is fantastic and jason you know they're plotting a heist because so the way it works is in this society uh in this near future air pollution is so bad that the wealthy basically walk around in like spacesuits but for every day walking around like that have full helmets and air filters so that they don't experience any of the medical issues with living in such a polluted place. And also there's lots of like viruses and diseases going around. And so those who can't afford the suits are dying way too early. Their, you know, their immune systems are weakened, so they succumb to viruses faster. They're also developing all kinds of medical problems because of the pollution. And Jason has grown up in, you know, the poorer echelons of society and has lost basically everybody in his life. His mother has died. And he's like, I want to change things. And so he and all of his like ragtag friends decide to infiltrate the corporation that makes the suits. And they like find out that instead of actually working to like fix the problem, this company actually might be suppressing legislation that would help solve the pollution issues so that they continue making money off of these suits. And there is a romantic subplot that Jason finds himself falling for the daughter of the, you know, CEO of the corporation, but can he trust her? But maybe she's like against what her father's doing. Who knows? And they are so, it's like such a beautiful found family story. And I think it has a lot in common with, you know, the books that you've already read and love. And I think you'll really get into it. I just loved it so much. These characters are fantastic. And this the storyline is very satisfying. So again, that is Want by Cindy Pan. 
Okay, I picked Cast in Shadow by Michelle Sagara, which is the first book in the Chronicles of Elantra series. Michelle Sagara is a Canadian Japanese author, and this urban this is urban fantasy. It's not so heavy on the romance so much, but it's pretty funny. So um, the main character's name is Kaylin. Oh, sorry, this is a trigger warning for Harp to Children, which is like all my fa- accidental terrible themes, yeah. right? Like just my bad. So Kaylin is the main character, and she grew up in this city called Nightshade, and she like wakes up one morning to have all these, she finds all these markings on her body, on her arms and her legs, and then a bunch of kids who she knows also have on their bodies are identical. And then these children turn up murdered. And she is the only one who isn't, <laughs> obviously, because she's the main character. She's not dead. Although urban fantasy, you never know. And so she she runs, you know, like obviously something terrible is happening to all of these kids who have these markings on their bodies. So she runs. As soon as she leaves, the murder stops. So like what, how is it connected to her? And then fast forward to her adulthood. She's learned to read she's become a really skilled fighter and she is in a new city called elantra she's joined the hawks who are like the kind of the police force or the patrol force security force of this city there are a lot of different species in this series so like there are dragons and wolves and all kinds of things and this is seven years later but once again children start turning up dead with the markings and so she is ordered back to nightshade she's partnered up with the dragon and ordered back to the city of nightshade to help figure out what's going on and how she is connected to it she also has secret powers which in a place with dragons you would imagine would maybe not be necessary but are she has healing powers and she doesn't want anyone to know about them because if they're discovered she's going to be taken up into you know like the empire's bureaucracy because her powers are really sought after and all that so they're secret and so she doesn't know who she can trust with like the truth about herself what it has to do with these ritual killings of children her she doesn't really get along with like her new partners um in this mystery so she has to figure out how to juggle all of those things all against this backdrop of these really huge complicated and complex magical cities so there are of course, more books in the series if you like the first one. So that's Cast in Shadow by Michelle Sagara. Our next question is from Gigi, who says, Lately, I found myself reading books that are on the darker side. And while I appreciate a tearjerker, I'm looking for more lighthearted and fabulous reads. I want a book that makes me laugh, cry, and fall in love with the main love interest. I really enjoy books of extravagance and or books with relatable female characters. It's been hard for me to find a chick lit novel with some depth. A few references to help you pick are shows like Sex and the City and The Bold Type, as well as books like Bridget Jones's Diary and even one of my favorite fabulous reads, Crazy Rich Asians. Okay, Jen, what you got? I picked what is basically Bridget Jones, but like British Muslim. It's so much fun. It's so enjoyable. It's so interesting and well done. It's Sophia Khan is Not Obliged by Aisha Malik and does come with trigger warnings for racism and religious intolerance. And I will say that similar to Bridget Jones, which I think was just like a thing for a while, and I'm glad it's not as prevalent anymore, mm-hmm. but especially in Chiclet, like there's a lot of internalized like fat shaming, like, oh, I need to lose 10 pounds like mm-hmm. all the time. You're just like, oh, stop it already. <laughs> anyway, so there's some of that. But mostly I love this book. And it is because it is so funny, but also like really does get you in the feels in certain moments. Sophia, the main character, uh, she lives with her parents. You know, she's got a good job. She's pretty happy, but like a lot of her, like her sister's getting married. Many of her friends have paired off. She is single and she's just like, ugh, Muslim dating is so difficult and complicated but like she has a very real relationship with her faith she wears a headscarf like she is very dedicated to 
her faith and what that means for her in terms of the dating world. And so she's just like, well, I guess this is just what it's like. And she's in a work meeting, like not paying attention. She's a publicist for a publishing company. And they're all like trying to talk about ideas. And she gets put on the spot and she's like, uh, somebody should write like a guide to Muslim dating. And they're like, great, you do that. And she's just like, um, I'm not. What? I'm not. That wasn't my like, that wasn't the point of my idea. Like, well, I don't know if I can do that. But they offer her a bunch of money. And so she's like, all right, fine, I'll, I'll write a book, sure. <laughs> and so the book is part, like, little sections from the book she's trying to write and then her dating adventures. And there are some, like, really sad family things that happen along the way. There's some really funny things that happen along the way. You do see her dealing with just, like, you know, she's going on the tube to get to work and some guy calls her a terrorist and, like, what that does to her. And it's just so balanced and like just such I just think you're gonna love it like I think it really does fit in with the other books that you've mentioned and it's just like perfect for this wheelhouse that you're in I just loved it so much so again that's Sophia Khan is not obliged by Aisha Malik Alrighty, I picked The Lost for Words Bookshop by Stephanie Butland which has a trigger warning for child abuse this is such a heartwarming I, it's, I feel like it's a pretty good Bridget Jones diary comp even though it's not as like soapy but it's just as I don't know like fun and the side characters are hilarious and there's romance and all of that kind of stuff so Love a Day Cardu which is the best name for a person in the world Love a Day is the main character and she's I think in her mid-20s mid to late 20s she works in a little bookshop called the Lost for Words bookshop obviously where she has worked since she was a teenager she's a very isolated person she doesn't have a lot of friends she has a tiny little apartment that she stays in by herself and she's like very grumpy and has a lot of tattoos you know like tattooed punk with a heart of gold that kind of is that a term (laughs) I don't know I think it kind of is and she has like not a mysterious past necessarily it's just she's a very private person her past is obviously a source of some kind of trauma to her and so she doesn't talk about it a lot the owner of the bookstore's name is Archie I love him so much he's like an older gentleman who has been on a lot of international adventures he reminds me of Teddy Roosevelt both physically and in like his whole thing like I'm going on a safari good day you know and I oh he's like very blustery he loves this girl so much and treat their relationship is very father-daughter it seems very healing and restorative to both of them it's adorable okay so that's the backstory and then a poet and magician fellow starts visiting the bookstore and talking up Love Day because he's you know returning a lost book or something like that and she is trying to decide like do I want to I'm interested in this man. And he's like inviting me to open mic nights. And she has dated in the past. It's not like she's a total recluse, but they've not just not ended in ways that she wanted. And so she kind of doesn't know if there's like a point, you know, and do I want to get close to this person? But he's very charming and he's a magician. So like maybe this could be entertaining. So she starts kind of venturing out of her shell to go socialize. But then these mysterious packages start showing up at the bookstore that are items that only could have come from somebody who knows about her past and knows about her childhood. And she just does not know what to do with that. Like, is she being stalked? Like, is somebody trying to freak her out? Is it like a member of her family who she hasn't talked to in a long time? Like, what is happening? So there's that mystery element. There's also this romance happening. And her very much realizing, like, going through these obstacles in order to overcome her past and realize her own self-worth, which is, I think, a thing that it has in common with Bridget Jones. There is a, it's not crazy rich Asians because no one's that wealthy, but there is like a, an interesting financial twist that happens to her in the book. That's a big spoiler, so I'm not going to tell you about it, but it does become a bit more extravagant, I guess, or, or like wealth adjacent than it starts when you first meet her. So that's The Lost for Words Bookshop by Stephanie Butland. 
All right. Our last question is from Nicole, who says, Help, I'm sick of reading Press Here and The Gruffalo. I'm trying to entertain an almost three-year-old full-time, and I need some new books. I just listened to your recommendation of The Girl Who Circumnavigated Fairyland, and I was wishing for some picture books with that sense of fantasy and wonder and wordplay. I'm craving Unlondon or the Phantom Toll Booth, but for toddlers. Does such a thing exist? I keep trying to sell him on Neil Gaiman's instructions, but he doesn't love it. Oh, I love this question because it is an opportunity for me to talk about one of my favorite picture books, which is called Thank You, Octopus by Darren Farrell. And this is so much fun. And I think it has a real sense of play. It's not quite as like fantasy as the things you're talking about. But I mean, the little boy has a best friend who's an octopus. So like that is a little fantastical, obviously. And so it is bedtime and the octopus is like trying to help his little human buddy get ready for bed. And so he's like, "Okay, it's time for a bath. I made you a bath. Except the bathtub is like full of egg salad. (laughs) And then it's like, "Okay, it's time to brush our teeth. Like, oh, no, it's like octopus wants me to brush my teeth with a paintbrush. Like, that's not right. And like so octopus is just very bad at the bedtime ritual. And it's so much fun to read aloud because like the constant refrain is like, no, thank you, octopus. And this is a thing. I read this when I was back at the bookstore and like, no, thank you, octopus just became like a thing that we said to each other all the time when like something happened that we just didn't want. We're like, no, thank you, octopus. So like be forewarned that if you do read this book and reread it over and over again, it will become part of your vocabulary. But it's so sweet. It's so fun. I really do think it is very highly re, 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 readable, (laughs) which is what happens when (laughs) you have a toddler. Right. So, uh, yes. So again, that is Thank You, Octopus by Darren Farrell. Uh, I also love this question. I I think it's a universal experience for people who love books who have children, realizing that their kids don't care about the kind of books that <laughs> their parents care about. It's like, oh, but come on. But it's so great. They don't care. And like, it's always the same story. And I love it so much. Okay. So I picked Not Quite a Narwhal by Jesse Sima, which is also one of my favorite picture books and has a fancy, it's obviously narwhals and unicorns, has some fantastical elements in it, but there's no people. So I, it doesn't have that. I think one of the things that Neil Gaiman and the Circumnavigated Fairyland series have in common are that it's like about humans going into these fantastical worlds. But I think kids really don't don't need that that gatekeeper, you know, like you can put them into Mm. a picture book where everything is bananas and they're just here for it because they've not built up, you know, those walls in their imagination. Anyway, so uh, Not Quite a Narwhal is about a young unicorn who was born under the sea to a family of narwhals. His name is Kelp. And he, I know, he has always been a little bit different. He assumes that he is a narwhal. It's like elf, but narwhals and unicorns. Right. He assumes that he's a narwhal like the rest of his family. Of course, he like his tusk isn't as long as, as his family members. He's not a very good swimmer. He's like not down with raw food. And he's got to, like, keep a thing on his head so he can breathe. So, like, things are a little different for him, right? Uh, and then one night, a really strong current sweeps kelp up to the surface where he discovers these mysterious creatures who look just like him. And then he discovers, of course, that he and these creatures are actually unicorns. So he's got to figure out, like, am I a land narwhal or am I a sea unicorn? Oh, Right? And like, I love my family and I don't want to leave them, but I obviously, quote unquote, belong on the land with these other 
creatures who are so nice to me and like how do I figure out how to occupy both sides of my identity so it's breaking down a really complex thing that a lot of kids deal with in their lives uh, and making it about narwhals and unicorns so I'm obsessed with it like I have a copy of it that lives on my TV shut like underneath my TV it just lives there like it's decoration it's beautiful very bright colors and which like little kids that age are super into because it appeals to their you know eyes basically (laughs) and very 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 rereadable so that's not quite narwhal by jesse sima and that's our show that's our show we actually ended on an up note for once i I feel like we always end on like the downer books (laughs) and then this is the most depressing thing ever you're welcome no, this is super fun. Okay, thank you all so much for listening. Please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. I am mostly on Instagram these days at I am Jen IRL. That's I A M J E N N I R L. And we will talk to you all next week. <laughs>